Well, at dinner time every night, my wife asks me a question that I give really bad answers to. And the question is, um, what would you like to drink? And I have to say, orange juice. Sometimes I say Pepsi. Other times I say milk. But usually when she asks me that question, it takes me about 20 minutes to decide. Is that true for any of you? Your parents are like, okay, we got we to set out our stuff for dinner. We're eating together. Or I want some water. Oh, I want some milk. I want some juice. I want some soda. Do your parents let you have soda at night? No? Yes? No? Okay, full disclosure, mine didn't either for a long time. I was allowed to have caffeine-free, but I wasn't allowed to have caffeine soda at night. And so I had a lot of Sprite growing up. Um, but then when I, I don't know how old I was. I, I don't know. I'd probably be embarrassed to find out how old I actually was. But anyway, she asked me that question, and I usually say orange juice because I know that's better for me than, like, Pepsi. But is it really? It's, like, still sugary. Um, I don't know. It's still the same kind of sugar. But anyway, that's a decision that takes me some time to make, although it's a small one. There are other decisions in my life and in your life that might take a little bit more time. Decisions like um, who you want to marry when you grow up. You still haven't made that decision, but that's okay. That'd probably be good. If you had made that decision... <sighs> probably going to change your mind at some point, but that's okay. Uh, but that took me a few years, right? When I was dating Alexander, I think we dated for about two years until we we're like, okay, this is it. And then I proposed and bought a ring. Um, and then she wanted a different ring. Um, you can ask her that story later. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, now I feel like I just stepped in the trap. I have to explain myself. Um, she wanted the ring. She loved the ring, but she wanted a different, never, <laughs> there's no good way of putting this. Ladies, you understand, right? You understand. No. You don't? Yes. No. I got one yes. Anyway, that decision took a little bit of time. Actually, when I was thinking about ring shopping, um, I went to the place and I like sorted through, not sort, it sounds like they're all rocks there, but all the diamonds. You get to choose what diamonds you want to buy. And that decision took me a little bit more time than deciding if I wanted um, orange juice or if I wanted Pepsi. It took me a while. Um, there are some decisions that are so big that affect so many things that it takes us a while to make those decisions. And that's okay. But the reality is some big decisions need to be made. There are some decisions that are life and death. If you can imagine, maybe um, you had to have some surgery. If you had some traumatic car accident or something, there needed to be a, a surgery that took place because it was life and death. That's how big of a decision this had to be. Well, there are some decisions like that. Maybe you haven't faced many of those, but the Bible says that we all have a life and death decision that we need to make. And it's a decision that we can make whether we're old or young, and it's a decision that every person is going to have to make. And the reality is some of you have already made that decision, and others of you have not made that decision. And here's the decision we're talking about. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 says that God sets before his people an option. You can live and live forever, or you can die. That's a big life and death decision. But the thing that differentiates the two is whether or not you're going to spend your life living for God or living for yourself. That's a huge decision. Everybody makes that decision at some point in their life. And I want to talk about that because Moses is going to talk about that here in Deuteronomy 30. So everybody grab your Bible, open it on up to Deuteronomy chapter 30, the fifth book of our Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 30. We looked at Deuteronomy 28 last week. And if you remember, it was that big, long section where we read all the blessings, all the things that God promised to his people if they would obey him, and then all the curses, all the things that would happen if they chose to turn away. And really the reason we're looking at Deuteronomy 30 tonight is because you've already seen the life and death matter that obeying God and choosing to live for him is compared to living for yourself. We already saw that in Deuteronomy 28. We, we read that whole 
section of curses. Remember how it took us like five minutes to read that passage? Remember that last week? It took us forever to get through that because it was so important for us to see what did God say would happen to these people, this original audience, if they said, I don't want to live for God. I want to serve other gods. Well, that choice is laid before us as well. The choice for us actually has more information than that. The choice is, are you going to follow Jesus Christ with your whole life? Are you going to live for Jesus? Are you going to repent of your sins? Which means turn away from all of your sinful activity, all the things you do to live for yourself and turn to Jesus and say, I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. That decision is before us too. And that is such a big decision. That's a life and death decision. Now, Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 starts out by saying this. It says, for this commandment, this is the the word that he gave, that I command you today is not too hard for you. That should be an encouragement to these people. He says, it's not too hard for you. I didn't tell you to do something impossible, right? If I said, hey, I need all of you to figure out how to um, build a rocket ship to get on the moon and you can't talk to anybody, you gotta do it all on your own, um, do it. You'd say, that's too hard for me. I can't do that, right? And the answer is, yeah, you couldn't do that. So what he's saying here is, whatever he's commanding these people is not too hard for them. Look what it says next. It says, neither is it far off. The commandment, the rules, it's, it's right near you. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. It says, whatever this commandment that he's giving to them isn't so far away that no one could find it. It also says, neither is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. This is based off of everything that this book has already said. This book has made it very clear. This is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to reject God and live your own life the way you want to. And that's the choice for every person. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose, I want to live for God, whether I'm a teenager, whether I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, whatever. doesn't matter. I'm going to live for God. Or am I going to make the choice to live however I want to? That's the choice before every single person. He goes on. Verse 15, he says, see, I've set before you today life and good as well as death and evil. Moses is like painting a picture. I just gave two roads for you, two ways for you to go in life, good and life or death and evil. Here's the two commandments or here's the two paths. Verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and statutes and rules, then you shall live. That's the life path, okay? That's the, you're gonna choose life, that's the life path. It says to them, the specific blessings for them is when you go into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, God will bless you. Verse 17, but here's the other path. Here's the death path that he says, you can walk down that road if you want to. Verse 17 says, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You'll die. That's what perish means. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. And he says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth, everything up and down, the whole world. I call all those people to be witnesses against you. God basically says, hey, um, earth, the whole earth. Can you listen to this? Hey, um, heaven. So everything up in the air, clouds, stars, everything, everything up there you both need to listen. What are they listening to? It says they're witnesses that God is putting before them life and death, blessing and a curse. He says, don't take my word for it, right? I'm telling it to you, but guess what? Everybody is witness to this. Everybody understands this. He's setting before them life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. 
That's the option. That's option A. That's option one. That's the good option. What happens if you choose life? That you and your offspring, that means your kids one day, that they'll live. What will they do? Verse 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Now, you might say, well, we've been talking this whole time about how Deuteronomy was written to a different group of people, right? It was this group of people that was going from the wilderness into this promised land. That's not me. Promise is not to me. Command is not to me. It's different than me. Well, there is a connection point to you though. And I said this at the beginning, but God is offering you as a person sitting in these little plastic chairs, okay, about 3,500 years after this was written, there's something that God wants to say to you. And it's this, are you going to choose life? Are you going to decide with my whole life, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to live for him. Whatever the world says to do, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to follow their false gods. I'm just going to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm going to trust in Jesus for salvation. Not trusting what the world says will make me happy. I'm going to trust in Jesus. Right? That's the option set before you. Which path are you going to take? You can take the path of God or the path of the world. The reality is, New Testament says that every person is on one of these two paths, which means right now, it's not just you're deciding which road you'll get on, you're on one of them right now. Either you are on God's road, Matthew 7 calls it the narrow road, right? That's why we're the narrow, you get it? Narrow, the narrow road, right? That's what it means, right? The narrow road, either you're on that narrow road, which represents what it looks like to live in a good relationship with God. You can only get there through turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, or you're living on the wide road. The wide road, it says, leads to destruction, and that's the road that most people in this world are on. Basically, the, the offer to you is you can get off that road. You can get off that road that everybody's on that's leading to their destruction. You can get off that road and get on God's road. It's a life and death decision. That's what Deuteronomy 30 is all about. The life and death decision. And he tells the people at the beginning is just be thankful you have this decision. He says, this word, this commandment is not too far away from you. That like you, you can't say, I've never heard it before. You can't say, oh, it's way up in heaven. I, I, can't, I can't access it. God's brought it down from heaven. He says, you can't say it's beyond the sea because God's given it to you. The commandment's right here. Same thing's true for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is right here. Most of you know it. Most of you, if I asked you what the gospel is, you could tell it back to me. Maybe a lot of these people could too, but that doesn't mean they chose life. First thing I would love for you to write down, point number one, be thankful that you have the word of God. Be thankful that you have God's word. Be thankful that you have God's word. That's what he tells these people to think through. He's giving them this choice, this life and death choice. And the first thing he says is just be thankful that you have this. How many people in this world at this time, when Deuteronomy was written, how many of them had the law of God? How many? Well, none of them, except this one little tiny group, the Israelites. What about the Canaanites? Did they have this law? Nope, they didn't have this law. What about the Egyptians? Did they have this law? Nope, they did not have this law. What about the Babylonians? Did they have this law? No, they didn't. Name your people group. They did not have this law. The only people that did were these Israelites. So he says, you have this law. That doesn't mean you're saved though. So many of these Israelites were gonna take God's law and say, nope, don't wanna have, any, I just don't wanna have anything to do with it. I'm just gonna put it away. 
So many of the Israelites did that. And that's what a lot of people today do who go to church. A lot of people who grow up in youth group, they say, nope, I thank you, don't want to have anything to do with it. Moses and God and me tonight, we say to you, choose life though. There's a better, I forgot, this is on stage. Um, Choose life. There's a better option for you than all of that. I want you to write down a word underneath point number one, super important. It might not mean what you think it means, but it's what this whole passage, verses 11 to 14, is describing. It's the word revelation. It's not on the screen. It's not on the screen, but it's the word revelation. When I said it wasn't on the screen, it's funny how many of you looked up on the screen to see if it was on the screen. That was like a test. No, it's not on the screen. It doesn't need to be on the screen. Luke, you don't have to put it on the screen. (laughs) Revelation. R-E-V-E-L-A-T-I-O-N. Guys, spelling was the worst subject for me. I took my last spelling test when I was like a junior in high school. I think I failed it. Like, it wasn't good. Anyway. Revelation, what does that mean? When you hear that, you might think, ooh, like, you know, like the end times or like that last book of the Bible. Well, the last book of the Bible is called Revelation, but here's what the word means. It means there's something that's a secret that now has been revealed, right? The word revealed is, the word revelation comes from the word reveal, okay? To reveal something to you, right? If I asked you, what's in my pocket? What's in my pocket? Do you know? Nothing? My phone? My phone's not in my pocket. I have no... I'm, what's in my pocket? The thing that, that's true, the thing that connects to my mic. That's true, this does. What else is in my pocket? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Do you know? You don't know. You need revelation. You need me to reveal to you something that you don't know, don't you? Because this is so important. I've been keeping a pack of gum in my pocket today, and I sat on it, now it's flat. This is really sad. Um, kind of weird. That was in my pocket, but you didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that. I had to tell you, right? Okay, that's what revelation means. Why why is that important in what we're talking about? Because what this says is God has revealed things to you that you would not have known if God didn't tell it to you, okay? That's why we can describe this whole book as revelation. Not just the last book, but all the books. Why? Because this book right here, the Bible, is contained in these pages, are things that you would not have known if God did not say so, okay? That's what we're talking about here. And what Moses says is, be thankful that you have God's revelation because it's a gift that you have that not everybody else has. Think about that. And you might say, well, today everybody has it. It's not true. It's not true. Not everybody has the same access you do to God's revelation. And you might say, well, you know, everybody in America, everybody who's got a phone, they can download the Bible app. That might be true, but how many of them have been brought to church every week, right? You have more revelation from God than most people, right? This is God's special revelation. Now, there's a different kind of revelation that everybody has just by looking around in the world. That's called general revelation, but this Bible is called special revelation, okay? We need to be thankful that we have God's special revelation because it tells us how to get right with God. It tells us how. Because without this book, without the Bible, we would not know. You would just be guessing. You would just be crossing your fingers and just be hoping. But God tells us. Be thankful you have God's word. Now, Deuteronomy 29, 29, if you're in your text, look at 
the last chapter. If you're in Deuteronomy 30, just look at 29, verse 29. Here's what this says about Revelation. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, do you see that word revealed? It's the word revelation, same idea. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. There are a lot of things that God did not tell us about. God did not tell you what your kids will look like. Right? He didn't. It's not here. Right? doesn't tell us. Right? You don't know. There's a lot of things that God didn't tell you. God could have told you, but he didn't tell you. But there are some things that God has told us, and that's what this book is. And that's what I want us to think about for a second. There are things that God has told us that we get the privilege of knowing that we would not have known if God didn't tell us. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament looks at this passage right here, the passage we're studying, Deuteronomy 30, and here's what he says. He says, just like the Israelites back in the Old Testament got God's law and they couldn't have any excuse of saying, oh, well, we didn't, we didn't know that lying was wrong. We didn't know stealing was wrong. No, you did know because God told you. He gave you those 10 commandments. You couldn't say, I didn't know coveting was wrong, looking at what other people had and wanting it. I didn't know that was wrong. God's gonna say, no, you did know because you had the law, okay? In the same way, Paul says in the New Testament that we now have the gospel, the good news, that we can be saved from our sins, not by doing the law perfectly, but by trusting in Jesus. That's been revealed to us. And because that's been revealed to us, we don't have an excuse, especially those of us who've grown up in church. We can't say we didn't know. When we face God, after we die, we can't tell God, I didn't know. And although that feels scary, it's only scary if you haven't responded rightly, but although that's scary, the good news is now you have the opportunity to turn to God. You have the opportunity to turn to God right now, today. Romans 10, after it says, and it quotes this passage, it says, but what does it say? Quote, the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart. And then in quotes or in parentheses, Paul says, that is the word of faith that we proclaim, the gospel. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you agree that Jesus is your God, that he's your boss, that he's your king forever, if you agree with that and you wanna live for him and you believe in your heart, you trust that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What that text means is that the way to be right with God is by two things, by recognizing Jesus is my God. He's my king. I'm gonna do what he says, no matter what. And I'm gonna believe that Jesus was risen from the dead for my sins, that he can save me from my sins. Basically built into that is the two words we use a lot here at church, repentance and faith. Turning from my sin, trusting in Jesus for salvation, not myself. He says, that's how we can be saved. And I just want you to think, I wanna be thankful that I have been given that information. Now, that information doesn't do you very good if you don't do anything with that information. So being thankful really only makes sense if you've responded to him well. And I want you to understand that. I want you to think this through, okay? I know we don't do it every day. We don't talk about death every day. We don't talk about, you know, life and death all the time. But tonight, this passage is directing us in that direction, right? It's telling us, okay, I want you to think about choosing life. I want you to start to, to grasp and understand the decision that lays before every single person. Not just you, not just me, but every single person. 
The good news is you have an opportunity to respond. And, and here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand the life and death consequences of whether or not I'm going to turn to Jesus for salvation. I want us to think that through. That's point number two. Understand your life and death choice. Understand this choice. Moses says, I'm laying before you two options, two paths, life and death. This is like the, the climax, the end of the whole sermon. He says, you got two options, choose life or choose death. Life, what does that look like? Look at verse 15, back in our passage. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by two things. Here's, how, here's what it looks like to live in a relationship with God. By loving the Lord your God. That's thing number one. By loving God and by walking in his ways. Living a life that's obedient to him. And by, next thing, keeping his commandments. Doing what God says. That's what it looks like to live in a tight relationship with God. That's what Christians do. Christians live in a tight relationship with God and how they live out their life is they're constantly thinking, okay, I want to love God. And they love God. They do what God says. They listen to God. They obey God's word. Because that's the path that they, they chose. And then it says, if you do that, you shall live and multiply. And all the blessings that we talked about in Deuteronomy 28. But, verse 17, here's the other path. But if your heart turns away. Think about that. Your heart, you know, imagine this. This is like a, imagine a picture of like a heart. <laughs> That's weird. Um, turning. That's what he's saying. It's like, imagine your heart, you're listening to God's word. And so many people do that. They come to church and they listen to God's word and their heart is directed towards God, right? He says, be careful that your heart, your attention doesn't go like this. Turn away. Oh, you know, I don't want to listen to God anymore. I'd, I'd rather listen to my friends. I'd rather listen to these people on my TV or my social media. I'd rather listen to them than listen to what God's word says. It says, be careful because there's a time for you. And, and right now, I think this is super important for us. Like, think about it. If, if my attention is thinking about what God's word says, he says, don't let your heart turn away from that. Why? Because if you turn away from it, here's what you'll do next. You'll stop listening. It says, but, this is verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear. That's what happens when people's hearts turn away from God. They say, nope, I don't want to listen to God anymore. When they hear God's word, what do they say? I don't, I don't want to hear that. They like push back against it. That starts with their heart turning away. Then they push back. Then it says they're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. All right, that sounds weird to you maybe. Like you thought I'll never like bow down to an idol, right? Um, and that's basically what a lot of these people were tempted to do, these Israelites, right? And I want you to think in their perspective for just a second, they were serving and worshiping a God that they couldn't see, right? They couldn't see God, but they got God's word. They were weird. All the other people, guess what? They all had temples and statues, but the Israelites said they served the one God over everything, um, but he doesn't even have a temple. Oh, oh, cool. I'll work. Let's see your God. Uh, does he have a statue somewhere? Can we? Uh, no, our God doesn't have a statue. Oh, your God doesn't have a statue? You're the only one in town that doesn't have a statue. Oh, that's weird. Um, okay, like, wh what can you do to, like, um, like, go and serve him and, like, give, oh, love one another? What? Oh, and love him. Well, where is he? Well, you can't see him, right? <laughs> Think this through. They were different. All the other nations, they could go to this temple and touch this idol and do all these things. Right? Today, what does that look like? 
turning after other gods. Well, it's saying I want to be popular more than I want to serve God. I want my friends at school to like me. I want to post things on social media that the world will clap at and give likes to. I know, I know that God probably doesn't like it, but I, I'm going to do that. If you're doing that, just know what's taking place in your life. Your heart is turned, and you're probably at the same time saying, I don't want to listen to what God's word says, because it's going to keep me from doing that other thing. Right? Popular is just one of the things. It could be any number of sins. For guys, it might be that you want to be the funniest person because you want to be the funniest and get the most attention. You'll break God's rules and use language that you shouldn't and laugh at jokes that you know you shouldn't and tell jokes you shouldn't because you know that will make you funnier. That's the choice of turning my heart away from God, saying I don't want to listen to God anymore. And further than that, more than that, saying I don't want to do that. It could be anything. I'm saying, understand your life and death choice. There's a passage I'd love for you to turn to. Look at Luke chapter 14 in the New Testament. Turn over to the New Testament, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, Jesus tells a story and he's saying the same thing Moses is saying. Think about your life and death situation that you're in right now. Most people don't wanna be told they're in a life and death situation. They're like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Well, God says we are in a life and death situation here. Luke, Luke chapter 14, here in the New Testament, Matthew Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament. If you found John, you went just a little too far. If you're in the book of Acts, just a little too far. Luke 14, verse 28. Jesus tells a story. He says, for which of you people, if you desired to build a tower, if you wanted to build this big, impressive building, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Think about how much this building is going to cost you to make. You do that even if you're building Legos. You make sure you have all the same Legos, right? You know what I'm talking about? The Legos get mixed up. Unless you're really good at putting the Legos back in the right box, if you just have a bunch of Legos out there, maybe it's hard to know if you have all the ones from the right set. He basically says the same thing. If you're going to build a building, make sure you have all the materials. Make sure you know how much it's going to cost you. He says whether you have enough to complete the building. Otherwise, verse 29, check it out. Otherwise... When he has laid a foundation, when he starts building, and is not able to finish it, everyone will look at him and mock him. They'll laugh at him. Why? What will they say to him? Saying, this man began to build, but was not able to finish it. He didn't have enough money. That, how sad. He built a building halfway, but then realized he didn't have enough money halfway. Just count the cost. Think about what it costs to build a building. Okay, that's illustration number one. Now number two, verse 31. Or what king who's going out to war with another king. Will not first sit down and deliberate and figure out if he's able with 10,000 men to defeat somebody who's coming at him with 20,000 men. And if not, if he decides I can't win this battle, I can't do it. It's impossible for me. Then, when that person is far off, not when right there, well, not when they're about to fight, but when they're far off, sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. What that means is to surrender, to say, you've got 20,000 people, I've only got 10,000 people. I can never win this battle. I will now be your servant. So that's what you did when you had terms of peace. You didn't just say, hey, can you like not fight me? That's like not how it goes. You have older siblings. Do you ever make them really mad and make them really mad and really mad? And right when they're about to like, they're right on top of you, they're right about to punch you. You're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? That doesn't work in war. Right? It doesn't work. Also, it doesn't work with God either. And what he says is, I want you to figure out what it's going to cost. Figure out whether or not you're willing to surrender. 
Verse 33. Check it out. Luke 14, 33. It's in your text right there. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to give everything up to follow God, it says, I don't even think you can be my disciple. That's what Jesus says. What does that have to do with Deuteronomy? Well, here, here's the point. If you have a life and death choice that you have to make, what you need to do is count the costs and figure out if it's worth it for you to say no to God. That's what I want you to think. Like really think through it. You're going to do that in point number or question number two in your small groups. I'm going to, on the back of your worksheet, it says, describe what your life would look like if you were totally committed to God. Then describe what your life would look like if you totally reject God. I want you to think about not just today, but I want you to think about where these paths lead. Think that through for a second. Visualize your future a little bit. Think about, okay, what would happen if I said, I don't want to follow God at all? What would my life really turn into? What would it be like? And then think that steps, that step, that step. I want you to think biblically about what Deuteronomy 28 says. If you say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and not serve God, God says there's huge consequences for that. Please don't choose that route. Count the cost. That's what it means to think. And is it, is it worth it for me? To live for myself and not to live for God. Is that worth it? And if it's not worth it, what am I willing to give up and say, I'm not, I'll, I will give up being popular if that means I want to serve God better. I'm willing to give up being the funniest. I'm willing to give up this sin or that sin because Jesus tells me to. I'm willing to give it up. I want you to figure out if you're willing to give it up. I know this is big. It's the life and death consequences, but I want us to think this through. Because here's the problem. If you, if you were to go your own way, if you were to say, nope, I don't want to serve God. I want to live for myself and take my chances. Proverbs 14, 12 says something about that type of person. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. There's a way that seems right to all of us. We want to live our lives a certain way. If you're your own boss, if you say, I don't want God to be my boss. I don't want God to tell me what to do. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. Proverbs talks about that type of thinking. It says, if you do that, just know its end is death. It's going to lead to death. You might think, well, what did the Israelites do? Think about it. What did the Israelites do? Because they had this opportunity, said, choose life. Did they choose life? Well, the reality is it's actually kind of a sad story. Most of them didn't choose life. Most of the Israelites who got God's law and grew up in the synagogue and heard God's law. They read the book of Deuteronomy. They memorized it at all their things that they did. Most of them said, no, I don't want to follow it. Judges, into that book, Judges 21-25 says that at that time in Israel's history, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They said, I'm my own king. I'm my own boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do with my body. Nobody can tell me what to do with my time. Nobody can tell me what to do with sports or with school. Nobody can tell me what to do about anything. I get to make all my own decisions. He says there was a time when these Israelites did that. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Super sad. Because what happened was time and time again, over and over again, God gave them over to their enemies and said, see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you, you need to repent. And some of them did repent, but others didn't. And they kept choosing their idols and they kept choosing popularity with their friends and they kept choosing all these things that God says, no, no, choose me instead. And they, they kept choosing the wrong thing. 
And God, let them have the consequences of their actions. Deuteronomy 30 is one generation of people. Judges 21 is like a couple hundred years later. But there was a time in between where the Deuteronomy, 20, uh, the Deuteronomy 30 people had kids. And there's another guy, not Moses, but Joshua. Joshua asked the people that were with him, they asked another similar question. Joshua asked these people, hey, um, what you need to do is serve the Lord and fear God, just like Moses said. Put away all the other gods that your fathers served beyond the river in the Jordan, or beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord instead. And if it's evil in your eyes, if you think it's wrong, this is Joshua 24, verses 14 to 18. It says, if you think it's wrong or evil to serve God, just make that decision, okay. But you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose today. You might want to choose next year. And for some of you, you might be thinking, I'd rather choose like when I'm 18 or maybe when I get married and have kids. That's when I want to choose whether or not I want to serve God or live for the world. Because, you know, maybe it'd be fun to just live for the world for like my teenage years and then turn back to God. Remember what happened in Deuteronomy 30? When your heart turns away, when your heart turns away, I'm not going to listen anymore. You're not going to come back to God if you turn your heart away from God. It says, choose this day who you're going to serve whether it's the gods that your fathers served in Egypt or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, my family, myself, here's what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. And the people answered Joshua. Here's what they said to Joshua. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. We're not going to leave God. Even if you think we might leave God, no, we will never, ever leave God. At least not us. We're not going to leave God. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, brought us up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove them out before us, the Amorites and all the people that lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. That's how these people said. You don't have less of a reason to serve God than Joshua you have more of a reason to serve God. Here's why. Because not only do you have the God of the Old Testament doing all the things he does, you also have Jesus Christ and you know what he did. Jesus, who is God, became a man. He took on flesh. He came down and lived like a human being because he was a human being. Took on all the things that were like us, everything except for sin. And he lived this life in a really terrible place for a long time. He was not rich. He did not have a lot of things. He lived this life with imperfect parents and he did everything exactly right. Everything. Never lied. Never cheated. Never stole anything. Never thought a bad thought. Said a bad word. Never. Did everything perfectly. And he grew up. He was a kid. He was a teenager. He was an adult. He even was relatively old. He's in his 30s, right? That's really old. <laughs> it's old. Yeah, it's old. I still got long. Never mind. Um, 30 was old. He was probably actually almost 40 years old when he died. That's even older, right? Your parents are like 40, right? Anyway. But he lived this life, and think about growing up to be that old and not doing anything wrong ever, ever. Never. Well, when he did all that, 
the Bible says that he did that so that he could live a righteous life in your place. So that he could take all the credit that he stored up for himself and give it to you. Because at the end of his earthly life, he was put to death by these people who thought of him as a criminal. And he says, I'm giving my life over so that when he died and, was, and he was punished, he wasn't just punished by the people around him. He was punished by God himself. And the New Testament says that God took all the, the wrath, like we talked about last week, all the curses, all the things that we deserved, and he put them on Jesus. And Jesus bore on himself all of the wrath of God for the sins of the people that he would save. And one afternoon, Jesus atoned for our sin, paid for it, redeemed us. Then he rose again, which is what Romans 10 says we need to believe, that he rose again so that we could have new life. You don't have less reason to choose to serve God. You have much more of a reason to choose to love and serve God. Twice says choose life. That's the bottom line. Point number three, make the lifelong decision to love and obey God. Make the lifelong decision to love and obey God. It says, choose life for yourself. And also, make sure everybody else around you chooses life for your kids, for the people that you live with. Like, make that, tell them they need to choose life too, not just you. They need to choose life. You're in Luke chapter 14. Once you write down that third point, I want everyone to take their Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. I want everybody to check this out. After you write that point down, turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's to the right, or to the left, sorry. Don't get your lefts and rights mixed up. I just did. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, choose life in Deuteronomy 30 because God offers that to you. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Jesus is describing what it looks like for people to live for themselves, do whatever they want, to be the king of their own life, to do whatever was right in their own eyes, and then live their whole life like that. Jesus warns, he says, just be careful. Just know that way is easy because you can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. You can be your own king, your own boss. Whenever people say, hey, it'd be good if you didn't do that, you could tell them, nope, I'm living for myself. I can do whatever I want. That way is easy for people. But here's the problem. That way leads to destruction. That's why this decision of life and death is not just about life and death with our bodies. It's about eternal life and eternal death. It's more than just this life. It's about what you're gonna be doing in a thousand years, in a million years, in six billion years. It's going to affect all of that. That's why it's a bigger decision than we might think, which is why it's a decision that might take some time for us to make, and that's okay. We just need to make the right decision and choose life. Now, verse 14 says, that was the wide road, but look at the, the narrow road. It says the gate, the way to get through, it's narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's saying that although we might think a ton of people are going to know God, and a ton of people are going to live and serve God. The reality is it's really only a few. 
even in, in church. Right? If you compare to all the people in every generation who are loving and serving God compared to all the people who didn't, okay, it'd be a very few to a huge group of people who don't do that. The way is wide that leads to destruction, but the way is narrow that leads to life. That's why making a lifelong decision, right? It takes me a while to figure out orange juice or Pepsi, okay? It's not an important decision. I could have either one, and guess what? I'm going to be fine. Um, you make the decision to, like, get married, and that might take some time, but that's a bigger decision because guess what? That decision is probably going to affect all your other decisions, like whether or not you have Pepsi or orange juice. <laughs> if your wife says, no, you're going to have orange juice tonight, you say, okay. Not that she does. She's never. But that's what's scary about the decision like this. And I want you to, I, I totally understand. Because if you're thinking this through correctly, what you're realizing is you're counting the cost and realizing, okay, if I'm going to love God and serve God and trust in Christ, that means like every day I'm going to be making different decisions than I would have before. Absolutely. That's why I say it's like two paths. It's two roads that you can go down that lead to a ton of other decisions, which is why the initial decision to say, I'm going to love and serve God. I'm going to be one of God's people. I'm going to trust in Jesus for salvation. I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to ask him to make me brand new. I'm going to ask that God will never cast me out. And I'm going to trust that he's able to do that and he'll do that for me. And at the same time, I'm going to turn from living for myself. I'm going to turn from my, all my sin and I'm going to do what God says now. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to serve God. Great. Okay. That's a decision that happens once. That's when a person becomes a Christian. The New Testament says that's when they're regenerated. They're, they're made with new life. God gives them new life, that new heart we talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 10. But here's the other thing. That doesn't mean that when you make that decision once, you're not continually making the decision every day to love and serve God. Here's what I mean by that. I want you to write down a couple verses in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 talks about the beginning steps of what it looks like to love and serve God. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord, understanding our relationship with God, understanding that God is good and holy and perfect, and fearing God, like we talked about last week, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the problem is, fools despise wisdom and instruction. They say, no, I'm not going to listen to what God says. Oh, God says that? I don't care. That's what the fools do. The wise people are the ones that fear God. Now, do you see how that's two different paths? That leads to two totally different choices and lifestyles. Okay, that was Proverbs 1.7. Three verses later, Proverbs 1.10 says this. It's a, like a father talking to his son. He says, my son, listen to me, kid, listen up. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If there are people in your life who say, hey, come do this sinful thing with me. Come do this sinful thing with me. Come to this place. Hang out with these people that are bad. If sinners entice you, the answer that Proverbs says is do not consent. Say no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not going there. And he lists all these types of sins that people are, are enticing people to back then and even today in verses 11, 12, 13, 14. Then in verse 20, this is Proverbs 120. He says, wisdom cries out. It's like wisdom is a person now. Wisdom is yelling at people in the market. She raises her voice at the head of noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks. Hey, what, what, what is this going to say? How long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And how long will fools hate knowledge? Basically says to these people, hey, do you want to, do you want to get knowledge about God or not? Wisdom, God's word, right? It's telling us, it's screaming at us if we'll just listen every day. Hey, it's going to tell us how to live, which is why making the lifelong decision to love and serve God starts when a person becomes a Christian, but you're continually learning from God. You start by, okay, I'm fearing the Lord, and you stay in the fear of the Lord. You start there, and then when sinners entice you, Proverbs 1.10, you say, no, I will not, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to those places. I'm not hanging out with those friends. I'm not going down that path anymore. Then verse 20, when God's word says, listen, listen to me, I want to teach you things. You say, yes, I'm listening. I'm ready. I'm ready to be wise. I'm ready to continue loving and serving God. The lifelong decision is a big one. It's a bigger one than a lot of the decisions we make every day which is why the decision of whether or not you want to grow up and be a Christian is different than what your favorite team is or, or even smaller decisions than that, what you're going to wear in the morning. Those decisions are small, but we give them serious thought. That's good. This is the biggest decision of your life. And I love that Moses ends here. Moses ends the book here and says, look, here, here's the end of everything. I've given you all the commandments. I've given you all the rules. Just like for us, we've, you know what the gospel is. You know that Jesus can save you, okay? Not, ball's in your court now. What are you going to do about that? Problem is, I mean, a lot of you guys, especially you eighth graders who've been around, you've been the narrow for a long time, you've heard the gospel, you know the truth, you know you ought to respond, right? A lot of you seventh graders are there too. You know you need to respond to God and say, I'm going to give my whole life to God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm not going to be the boss anymore. Jesus needs to be the boss. And you want to say, you know what? I want Jesus to forgive me my sins because I could never earn my salvation. I need him to give me salvation. Okay, great. Once you make that decision, that's going to lead to a whole lifetime of decisions for God doing what he says. I want to encourage you that if you are one of those people who has chosen life, right? You can look to your leaders, by the way, as people who have lived a certain way for a certain amount of lifetime and God changed their hearts and they said, I choose life. Now I'm not gonna live for myself anymore. I'm gonna live for God, right? You can look to all your leaders and say, okay, what was that like for you? What was it like when you, when you said that God's the boss and you're not, right? And when you look at their life, you're also seeing the fruit of what it looks like to love and serve God. You're seeing the blessings that are in their life whether their lives have been easy or hard, they can tell you it was good and best and the only good thing I could have possibly done when I was convicted of my sin was say, I'm gonna choose life. I'm gonna repent of my sins. I'm gonna turn to God. Something everybody needs to do. It's a life and death decision. But it's something that lays before all of us. What are we gonna do? about that. We're going to talk about that in small groups. I hope that for some of you, you've been having conversations about this big conversation with your leaders. And if you've never had a conversation with your leader about that, I'd love for you to talk to them about it and think about it. It's a big decision, biggest decision ever. I just want to give it enough thought, but I definitely want us to think about it tonight. So let's pray. God, help us. We know that if you don't turn our hearts to you, that we will never listen to this we're thankful that you offer us your word and you say it's right here. We can take it. We can listen. 
Pray for the students who at one point did listen more than they do now, but because of their sin, they've turned away and they don't want to listen anymore. I pray that you'd have mercy on them and turn their hearts back to you. Pray for the students who have been listening and have been seeking you and want to serve you and want to love you. Pray that they would make the decision to love you for the rest of their life. Be totally committed to you, not to any other gods, any other idols, whether it be popularity or being funny or being liked by people or being embraced by the world or whatever it is. Pray that they would see that living for that will end in destruction, but living for you is the only way for us to have life. Thank you for Jesus sharing the gospel with us initially through his life, his death, his resurrection. Thank you for just having us be born into families that are here, even here at Compass Bible Church where we're taught the word. Thank you for that. Pray that we wouldn't squander that opportunity by choosing ourselves, but we would choose life. We'd obey you for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.